Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Please open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find a paperback Bible underneath one of the chairs. Those Bibles have been replenished lately, so there should be plenty available. And you can open that Bible up to page 1. If you don't own a Bible and want to take that Bible home with you, we would invite you to do that. Let that be our gift to you. I want to make a quick note uh, in the multi-purpose room, which we normally set aside for uh, those who might want to exit the sanctuary for whatever reason. The video feed is not working this morning, so just FYI on that. We hope to have that uh, adjusted by second service, but uh, no video feed in the multi-purpose room this morning. I want to uh, begin this morning by uh, wishing you all a very happy holiday. I hope you're all enjoying the holiday today. Having a happy holiday? What holiday am I talking about? Not the holiday of Christmas. We still got a little ways to go. Uh, Not the holiday of Thanksgiving. That's still not quite here, although we're getting close. Uh, Not the holiday of July 4th. That's long gone. What am I talking about when I say happy holiday? What I'm referring to is that today is Sunday which we call the Sabbath or the Lord's Day. We call it a holy day. You put holy day together and you get the word holiday. That's actually where we get our word holiday. It is a holy day. And what is it that we love about holidays? What is it that we look forward to the most about a holiday? Isn't it the fact that we don't have to work on Christmas and Thanksgiving and other holidays, we cease from working and we don't feel guilty about it. And so we rejoice in our holidays and we think of Christmas and Thanksgiving as very major holidays and we enjoy them, but we remember they only come once a year. The holiday of the Sabbath comes to you once a week, a holiday that God has given you once a week. The question I ask to you today is, are you taking your holiday? Do you observe this holy day that God has given to us? In our culture, in the United States in particular, there used to be a time when everybody stopped working on Sunday. And almost every store and restaurant was closed on Sunday. Today, pretty much everything is open on Sunday and continues running just like it did in the previous six days. We do have some exceptions. Chick-fil-A, right? closed on Sundays, and uh, well, we respect that greatly. Think of the amount of money that they could earn if they were open on Sundays, but they choose to observe the Sabbath and stay closed. Fact is, we've changed our view on the Sabbath uh, over the last several decades. We've come to see it not as a holiday given to us, but as a work day taken from us. And some of us have turned it into a day that's just like every other day of the week. And that might be why this morning you're here feeling exhausted, worn out, stressed, irritable. Because perhaps it's been a long time since you've enjoyed and celebrated the holiday that God has given to you. Well, 
We're continuing here through our series on the book of Genesis, the gospel according to Genesis. We have examined the first six days of creation, and today we reach day seven, which is described for us in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. I did mention a couple weeks ago, thanks to Pastor Brian for preaching in my absence last Sunday, so it's been two weeks since we've been in our Genesis series, but when we looked at day six, I mentioned that that was the climax of creation, and there's a sense in which that's true, uh, certainly the climax in terms of all that God has created, that climax with the creation of man and woman. But in terms of the seven-day work week, the climax actually comes on day seven, and the climax is a day when really nothing happens. <laughs> it's a day of rest, and that's what we'll read about here in these first three verses. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, please do so. I'll read Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Lord, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would come and open our hearts and minds to behold wonderful things in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> One thing you should know about the paragraph or uh, chapter breaks in the Bible is the chapter breaks are not inspired, and so this is a little bit of an unusual chapter break. It probably would have been better if chapter 2 started in verse 4, because these first three verses are really kind of completing what we've read in chapter 1, so don't let that uh, distract you. But we're going to consider here this morning how um, the, the Sabbath impacts our view of three things. The, the Sabbath as presented to us in the scripture should very significantly influence and impact our view of time, and certainly our view of work, but even our view of salvation. And so those are the three things we're going to consider this morning. So first of all, the Sabbath impacts our view of time. Uh, you probably know that the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth of the ten. Um, but what's interesting about the Sabbath is that it is probably the most visibly and openly rejected of the Ten Commandments. Uh, certainly, people's consciences are stricken when they violate the command not to steal or the command not to murder or to not commit adultery. But it seems like consciences are just not stricken so much when we violate the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. Now, why is that? Why, why is it that people just kind of so freely break the Sabbath and not be bothered about it? And I, I wonder, I suppose there's a lot of answers to that, but one that I would suggest is that um, we are very protective in our society of at least two things. One of them is our money. We're very protective of our money. We really don't like people telling us how to use our money, but we're also very protective of our time. We don't really like people meddling with our time and telling us how to use our time. We say time is precious. We say time is money. William Penn said that time is the thing that we actually want the most but use the worst. But what we find here in chapter 2, very interesting, isn't it, that the very first thing in the entire Bible that is set apart as holy is a period of time. 
very first thing in the Bible that God sets apart as holy is a unit of time, the seventh day of creation. And we see that here at the beginning of verse 3. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So that's where I get my scriptural support for the holy day, meaning holiday. God sets apart the seventh day and declares that it is holy. The word holy just means set apart. It means consecrated. It means um, it, it means set apart for a different use. It means that it's not ordinary. It means that the seventh day is not supposed to be like the other days. This is a special day that is set apart unlike the six days that have come before it. Now, what are some of these arguments that are used against the observance of <clears throat> the Sabbath? What some people will say is, well, that's just Old Testament stuff. Uh, those are commands that were given to Israel, and so today in the New Testament, we don't have to worry about the Sabbath. But um, let's look at this command, the fourth commandment from Exodus 20, <clears throat> and notice how this is written. Um, Moses receives this from God on Mount Sinai, and he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now why is all this true? Why is God saying this? Why is Moses saying this? Here's the reason why. For because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. So you recognize that, right? This comes from Genesis chapter 2. The Sabbath command in the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, is based on what God did in Genesis 2 in creation on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, yes, this Fourth command is given to Israel, but you see it's rooted in uh, what God did long before Israel ever existed. Uh, this is a command that God has given. What we call it is a creation ordinance. That means this is something that is given not just to Israel and not just to Christians, but to everyone everywhere. This has to do with how we are created as human beings. This has to do with how God designed us. He did not design us to be people who live without regard to the use of our time. He did not design us to be people who work tirelessly, seven days a week. That's not how we're designed. We can't hold up under that kind of stress and that kind of pressure. The negative effects of overwork are very well documented. We hear how overwork can impair our sleep, can lead to depression, substance abuse, diabetes, heart problems, high blood pressure, not to mention neglect of our family, our friends, and our church. What we're seeing here in Genesis 2 is that God is setting up a pattern for how we are supposed to live. God is the God of time. God is sovereign over all of the universe, but he is sovereign over time also. And what that means is that God has the authority to tell you how to use your time. Your time is not actually yours. It's kind of like money, right? Money is given to you by God. It actually belongs to him. You're a steward of your money. Time is the same way. It's given to you by God, and you are a steward of time. A pattern is being set here. 
in Genesis 2. God has used six days to work. He has set aside the seventh day to rest, and the implication is very clear. That's what you should do too. I mean, don't, don't miss this. Isn't this kind of fascinating that man and woman were made on the sixth day, which means the seventh day was the first full day that man and woman existed on the earth, and the first full day of their existence is a day off, the seventh day. God doesn't begin with work, but he says, this is a time to rest, and I would suggest that what God had in mind and what God wanted Adam and Eve to do on that seventh day of rest is to just sit back and to just reflect on all that God had done, to just meditate on his beautiful creation, to contemplate all that he had made, to behold his glory, to marvel at his majesty and his splendor, to worship him, to praise him, to adore him, to give their hearts fully to him. I would suggest that's what Adam and Eve were doing on that first day of rest, worshiping their creator. The implication is that that is far more important than you being productive or crossing off things on your to-do list or achieving whatever it is that you have to do. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's what God sets apart this seventh day to do. Isn't it interesting also that we see in verse 31 of chapter 1 that everything that God had created in these six days, he pronounces it all very good before Adam and Eve had done a thing. Everything that God has created is just right without the work and contribution that Adam and Eve would bring to it. The universe exists just fine without us and without you. <clears throat> Here's what a guy named Bruce Ray says, the Sabbath calls us to cease from our works and to rest in and enjoy the fruit of his works. The world, after all, does not depend upon our efforts to keep it going. We can take a day off and the world will still be here in the morning because God upholds it by the word of his power. The Sabbath has a lot to do with just simple time management. This is important to God. He wants you to think about how you use your time and he wants you to set aside a day of rest. Super Bowl 34, many uh, football fans will remember this great game in the year 2000. The Rams and the Titans were playing, and the Rams were ahead 23-16, to 16, and the Titans had uh, one last chance um, to uh, tie up the game. So they began this last drive, and they were driving down the field late in the fourth quarter <clears throat> and uh, gaining lots of yardage. And they got to the one-yard line, and then something happened. They ran out of time. Game ended. They ran out of time. And you know what? One day, you're going to run out of time. You're going to run out of time with your spouse. You're going to run out of time with your children. You're going to run out of time in your neighborhood and on your job and with your friends and with your church. You're going to run out of time to reflect on the goodness and greatness and love of God. You're going to run out of time to get right with him. That day is coming. 
And so God says, set aside a time. Set aside a seventh day. It's a time not just of rest, but a time of reflecting on all that God is in his goodness and grace and mercy in the gospel. So the Sabbath impacts our view of time. But it also, of course, this is how we mostly think of the Sabbath, the Sabbath impacts our view of work. Our view of work. So, God has been working for six days, and we look back to the text, verse 1, and we see that the heavens and the earth were finished. The heavens, everything in the skies and in the spiritual realm and everything on earth were finished. All the host of them, just a way of reiterating the, uh, the, uh, how exhaustive is God's creative control over all things. And then we see this kind of repetition because uh, Moses really wants to make this point clear. In verse 2, we see that God finished his work that he had done and, and he rested. And then you go to verse 3. We already saw the day being made holy, but the end of verse 3, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done. So uh, this repeated theme that God works and then he rests from his work. Now let's be very clear here. This is not suggesting that God is somehow uh, tired himself. He doesn't get worn out and irritable. Uh, Isaiah tells us God does not faint. He does not grow weary. He doesn't get sleepy. He doesn't take naps. Uh, God is not tired in the way that we are, but we should also see that God is not inactive here either. It's not like God has uh, just kind of withdrawn his controlling power over the universe. I mean, God does continue to uphold the universe by the word of his power. He continues to govern the universe by his providence. So we shouldn't conclude that rest means idleness. It doesn't mean you're just sitting there in a chair staring into space for the whole day. There are other things to do on the Sabbath. But this raises this question of what can we and can't we do, what should we and should not do uh, on the Sabbath, or you know, what really constitutes work and what constitutes rest. And, and that's where this whole kind of topic ends up getting controversial and difficult because what is work for some people might be rest for others, and what's rest for some might be work for others. So how do we deal with this? Well, one thing we need to make sure that we avoid is what the Pharisees did in Jesus' time. And you might know that the Pharisees uh, had this habit of kind of building up an endless list of restrictions and rules and regulations for the Sabbath that they would impose on people, forbidding them from doing all sorts of kinds of, you know, very trivial things. So for instance, uh, according to the Pharisees, you couldn't uh, unfasten a button on the Sabbath because that was work. Uh, you, you couldn't carry a needle in your pocket if you were a seamstress because that was getting too close to work. You couldn't cut your toenails on the Sabbath because that would be considered work. The Pharisees just heaped up all of these regulations so that the Sabbath ended up becoming something that people dreaded. People couldn't wait for the Sabbath to be over with because they were so tired of trying to live underneath all of these restrictions. And so Jesus very frequently has these arguments with the Pharisees as they talk about what is right and not right to do on the Sabbath. And 
one thing that Jesus says to the Pharisees is this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the point there that Jesus is saying is that the, the Sabbath is a gift to you and me. The Sabbath is supposed to be a blessing to us. It's not supposed to be something we dread. It's supposed to be something that we look forward to. Uh, the Old Testament, ex, uh, Exodus 23, says the Sabbath is supposed to refresh us. Isaiah 58 says the Sabbath should be a delight for the Christian, really, this Sunday ought to be the best day of your week. It ought to be the day that you look forward to more than any other, even more so than Friday night. You should be looking forward to Sunday. So we don't want to fall into this habit of the Pharisees and loading up the Sabbath with all of these heavy restrictions. But clearly we are supposed to rest, right? I mean, that's obvious here in Genesis 2 and also in the fourth commandment. So, again, what can we and can't do? Well, I'm going to refer to a guy named John Frame here who I think, if I can just break it down as simply as possible so that maybe you can kind of uh, keep this in mind, I, I think this is a pretty good summary of what we should avoid doing on the Sabbath. Um, what Frame says is that we should avoid daily business and heavy lifting. <laughs> daily business and heavy lifting. Daily business, that is just what you do on the other six days of your week is what you should avoid doing on the Sabbath, on Sunday, your daily business, and heavy lifting. So there might be certain work that you're tempted to do that doesn't have to do with your, your vocation, you're not paid for it, but it's exhausting, it'll wear you out. So avoid Daily business and heavy lifting. Thank you, Nate, for getting that back up. And most importantly, you should seek to avoid anything that would interfere or obstruct with your ability to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ in corporate worship on Sunday mornings. And that might sound like a shock to some of you. You know, what, I can't do work? I can't get things done? This whole Sabbath idea, in part, is a test as to whether you are really willing to trust God to be a provider for you or whether your ultimate trust is in your own efforts and your own work. Marva Dawn says this, a major blessing of the Sabbath is that it forces us to rely on God for the future. We abstain from work, from our incessant need to produce and accomplish, from all the anxieties about how we can be successful. The result is that we can let God be God in our lives. Let God be God. You're not the one ultimately who provides for yourself. God is your provider. You take a day off and you demonstrate that. I am trusting God. I know sometimes it's hard because you got stuff to do because you're busy, I know that. I am too. But here's an opportunity for you to say, by faith I cease from my work and I look to God to be my provider. This is also time that you can do things that you know you should do but you don't get a chance to do on the other six days because you're too busy, like read your Bible or spend time in prayer or read a good book on theology or a book about a, a, a Christian biography or something that would inspire you in your faith. I mean, we're busy during the week. It's hard to find time for that. You've got a day off every week. <laughs> On Sundays, you can do that. That's why God has given it to you.
So, here's some questions. I mean, without trying to be too micromanaging in terms of what you can and can't do, there are certain questions you can ask yourself as you're thinking about what you should or shouldn't do on the Sabbath. One, is this thing going to refresh me or exhaust me? Don't do things that exhaust you. Is this a work of necessity or a work of mercy? Those things would be acceptable on the Sabbath. There are certain things you just got to do. Um, will this distract me from or direct me to enjoying God's goodness and grace? And I think of this in terms of you know, what movies that you might watch. If you watch movies on Sundays, what is that movie doing? Is it distracting you? from enjoying God's goodness, grace, or grace, or, or is it somehow directing your attention to that and enhancing that? Uh, and then uh, lastly, will this interfere again with my attendance, attendance at weekly corporate worship? Here, here's the bottom line, friends. If what you do on Sunday, the way you observe Sunday, if it's exactly the way you live on every other day of the week, you gotta reevaluate how you observe the Lord's day. If there's no difference, aside from coming to church, on how you look and observe your day, it's time for some reevaluation. Now, what about the question of whether you should um, work on Sundays in terms of your paid job? What if your paid job requires you to work on Sundays? How do you handle that? Well, there are exceptions in the scriptures to the Sabbath. And um, here are three. I'm not going to read you the passages. You can write them down and look at them later if you like. But certainly eating <laughs> is an exception. I mean, it takes work to eat. You've got to prepare it. And Matthew 12, 1, David's men were hungry, and they went through the fields, and they had to get food for themselves on the Sabbath. Jesus validated that. Uh, warfare, which would be kind of a work. In Joshua chapter 6, God commands warfare, and they do it on the Sabbath. It's a direct command from God. Um, rescue, Luke chapter 14, verse 5, talks about if your donkey falls into a ditch and you need that donkey, you don't leave it there until the next day. Uh, you get it out of the ditch. And these are what we call works of necessity. Works of necessity. Of course, we know policemen, you know, they can't take a day off. <laughs> Um, firemen cannot take Sunday, well, the policemen can take a day off, they can't take Sunday off. Firemen cannot take Sunday off. Doctors and nurses, we, we need them on Sundays. People get sick and in accidents on Sundays. Pastors uh, have to work on Sunday. So there are plenty of exceptions uh, to this. And I would say that providing for your family is a work of necessity. Providing for your family is a work of necessity. And so if your job requires you to work in order to provide for your family, I, I don't think that's a violation of the Sabbath that you need to feel guilty about. However, at the same time, I would say, not all jobs require you to work on Sunday, right? And it could be in your case that there is an opportunity for you to find a job that doesn't require that. And if you're thinking about taking a job, I mean, that should be a factor. That should be something that you consider. Is this job gonna require me to work on Sundays? But there are some jobs that, by the very nature of them, do require that. And if that's what you're gifted for, educated for, and that's the way you provide for your family, I think that that is an exception. But bottom line is, as I've been saying, 
I think most of us give pretty little regard to the Sabbath. Um, I read this uh, biography of the Wright brothers by David McCulloch, uh, the Wright brothers who invented the airplane. There's a, a story there in the book where the Wright brothers had just gotten their plane into the air. This is 1908, and they were in uh, France in a city just south of Paris, and they got the plane in the air before everybody, and uh, you know the French were just astonished, just amazing seeing this thing flying in the air, and so they were so excited about it, they said, oh, we want you to come back tomorrow and do the same thing for us. Well, uh, the problem was that that first flight was on a Saturday, and tomorrow would be a Sunday, and Wilbur Wright said, I'm not flying on Sunday. And the report that went out to everybody who was looking for this flight was, was this, Mr. Wright is a good American who would not think of breaking the Sabbath. How many Christians today think that way? I would not think of breaking the Sabbath. So the Sabbath should impact the way we look at our work. But one last thing, the Sabbath should also impact the way we look at our salvation, the way we view the gospel. This sermon series is the gospel according to Genesis. How does this Sabbath thing point us to the gospel? And uh, here's how. There, there is this very interesting parallel or similarity between the creation week and holy week. Holy week or those last seven days, the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. There's some very interesting connections here. On the sixth day, God creates man. We go to holy week. On the sixth day, the God-man was crucified. Six-day Friday. The day in which Adam and Eve were created, go to Holy Week, that's the day in which Jesus was killed. Also on the sixth day, God finished creation. Now, verse 2 here says God finished this the seventh day, but that's a reference to what God had completed the day before. It's on the sixth day that God actually finished his work of creation Jesus hangs on the cross in John 19 and says, it is finished. Jesus finished the work of salvation on the sixth day. On the seventh day, God sets it aside for rest. Well, go forward to Holy Week. On the seventh day, Jesus rests in the tomb as he suffers and submits to a real death, real human death. And then, on the first day, Jesus comes out of the grave, resurrected from the dead, the beginning of the new creation for all those who look to him and trust in him. And so that's why now the day of rest is moved for us from the seventh to the first day, because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday, not on Saturday. And so we begin our week, the first day of the week, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now this has enormous significance for how we look at our salvation and how we look at the gospel. Think of that pattern. In the Old Testament, it was six days of God's work and then he rests. But now in the New Testament, we rest on the first day and then spend the six days after that working because our salvation has been finished in the work of Jesus. 
That's what the Sabbath is about. That's the most fundamental attitude of heart that we should bring on Sunday, is resting in what Jesus has done. As Christians, we don't live our lives achieving and working and producing and doing moral good things in the hopes that one day God will reward us with rest. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is Jesus did the work for me. Jesus finished it. He did everything that the Father gave him to do. It's done, and so now I can start my week resting in him. And then I go out and I work, but I'm not working to earn my rest. I work to please a God who already earned my rest for me in the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Resting in Jesus' work before we start our work because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Think about this. What did you contribute to the creation of the universe? <laughs> Nothing. And that's exactly what you've contributed to the finishing of your salvation. Nothing. It's fully done, fully accomplished, thoroughly finished by the work of Jesus Christ. And now on Sunday, we take special time to just exhale and relax and enjoy that wonderful gospel truth. Whenever anybody becomes a member of this church, we always ask them this question. We ask five questions, but here's one of them. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Such a key word, rest. You have rest. Whether you become a member of this church or not, I ask you this question. Do you receive and rest upon Jesus alone for salvation as he is offered to you in the gospel? Do you? Do you rest in him? So many people just exhausted, wearing themselves out, trying to be good enough for God, trying to be a good enough wife, a good enough husband, a good enough parent, a good enough employer, a good enough employee, a good enough friend, a good enough student, a good enough son, a good enough daughter, a good enough deacon, a good enough elder, a good enough pastor. Wearing yourself out. You're sick of it. You're worn out. You can't be good enough and you're frustrated. I can never do enough. And what the gospel says to you is you don't have to do enough. You can stop working, cease working, and trust in what Jesus has done. He's finished the work for you. Here's what he says, Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take that rest for him, from him. Take that rest from him by faith. And then give yourself to working for him, not to achieve what he's already achieved for you, but in grateful worshipful, thankful praise for a gospel that has finished everything necessary for you to belong to God forever. God in heaven, we uh, thank you for the gift of this one day of the week, Lord, where we rest in you. Lord, we seek to rest in you every day for our salvation, but Lord, thank you for a day in which we rest not just from our works to please you, but from all of our works, Lord, Simply enjoying you, enjoying our families, enjoying our church, and giving you praise and glory for your goodness and grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.